0: Welcome to Unity of Tucson. So, good morning, everybody. It is such a joy to be here with you all this morning, uh, and my talk has nothing to do with Halloween, but I have to acknowledge it because as a kid, I, I used to love Halloween. I used to love to be able to dress up and, uh, you know, do the trading with the candy. You poured it all out, and you trade it, and you hid from your older, I hid from my older brother and sister, and so anyway, <laughs> yeah, and I love the ears, and I think Sherry's got some stuff going on. So anyway, so happy, happy, Happy Halloween. Now, speaking of make-believe, um, it's been interesting. The last couple of months, I've done a lot of traveling, and I had the opportunity to be on both coasts. I was um, in the Orlando area, and then I was in Anaheim. And I was literally right outside of both Disney parks. Um, I was, uh, did the, um, watched the fireworks. I actually was able to get in the, uh, be on a boat and do the la- um, on the lake of Orlando's Disney. And watched the fireworks, and I was literally across the street um, in Anaheim and saw the fireworks from my hotel window. I got upgraded to a suite because I'm a Marriott goddess. Just means I st- <laughs> <laughs> Just means I travel a lot and I stay in a lot of Marriott. But it, it reminded me of Walt Disney's story. And I don't know if you all know this or not, but Disney did not have an easy time of it. That when his first venture, he actually went bankrupt, that he got cheated and he ended up having to declare bankruptcy. And then when he got going a little bit, and before he invented Mickey, um, he had a floppy ear character, and he had a deal with Universal Studios, and Universal Studios effectively um, um, cheated him. And then when he, um, Snow White was a hit, and then the uh, the, vi- the film after that was Pin- Pinocchio, and it was a flop. Disney kept at it because he had a vision of what it was to bring happiness to people. And then he had this dream to build the happiest place on Earth. And he went down to this swamp area of, uh, of Anaheim. If you've ever been to Southern California, there's really not a whole lot there except now concrete. But at the time, right, in the 405, um, And at the time, you know, it was just swamp, but he looked into the swamp and he saw a possibility. He saw supply and he said, I'm gonna build the happiest place on earth, on the planet here in the swamp in Anaheim. And he knew with his history that it was gonna be a bit of a challenge for himself to believe in it and for the other people working with him to believe in it. So he did what was a counterintuitive, a contrary move. He told his builders and his engineers to build the castle first. Now, this makes no sense. You typically, oh, and with that, he said, put it in the center because I want everybody to be able to see the castle no matter where they are in the park. Now, this made absolutely no sense. When you're building a huge enterprise like Disneyland, you start from one end and you do it efficiently that there's, there's a system and you build like one thing of everything like an assembly line. It's more effective. It's more financially efficient. It just makes more sense. He didn't want to do it the sensible way. He knew if he was going to pull this thing off with his history, he needed to do something out of the ordinary. And he said, I want the castle first. I want it first and I want it complete because I want people to see it, to start generating interest. I want their attention to go to the castle and I want there to be an expectation that this is gonna be a beyond descriptive kind of experience. He wanted the people that were working on it to have that vision in mind. This is what we're working on. We're building around this castle to create the happiest place on the planet. I think it worked. (laughs) I think it was successful. And what I appreciate about Disney was that he was an unconscious competent, I don't think he was aware of what he was doing, but he was an unconscious competent of what it took to activate the law of supply and the law of attraction. And in our fall renewal program that Jonathan has set up for us to take a deeper dive into our own spiritual awareness, this is, what, this is where we're going today. We are in the study of Working with the Law by Raymond Halliwell. Great book. And today, we're looking at the law of supply and the law of attraction. And I love the story of Disney because he demonstrated what it was to stay true to a vision and true to what he knew to be deep down for him to be true. Um, even in the face of facts and conditions that were telling him, this is a crazy idea. And nevertheless, as he stayed devoted to that vision and let the vision be bigger than the facts and conditions and his history, we now have multiple Disney parks where gazillion amounts of people, I don't know the exact number, but I know it's a whole bunch of people on a regular <laughs> basis, make it a, a, it may, they make it their life's mission to get to Disney because they want to have that experience. So, what is the law of supply and the law of attraction? Well, let me describe to it in this way. First of all, the law of supply says the minute you have a demand, it's evidence that the supply is already here. The guy Jesus, which by the way, I am kind of a Jesus person, so just saying, you're going to hear me speak of Jesus a lot. He's kind of my guy. But Jesus talks about how um, he gives us A a statement from Matthew where he says, Ask and it shall be given. Knock and the door will open. He goes on to say, Not that. (laughs) He goes on to say, Pray believing ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be opened. When you pray, pray believing. What I love about that, and I said this when I I spoke earlier in the month about what I brought to you then, I love what Jesus tells us because it's instructive, right? That he's telling us how to do it. How do you create the thing that you want to create? Here's how you do it. You got to ask. First, you have to ask, and then you've got to pray believing. And then what I love about it, he's kind of, you know, he plays head games with us a little bit. It's descriptive. He understood and continues to understand in the invisible realm, we're always asking. We're always praying. We can't turn those functions off. And so if we want to know what we're asking for, you know, what we teach in New Thought, all we got to do is look at what's happening in the land of our results. If we wanna know fundamentally what is it that we really believe, all we gotta do is look in the land of our results. Not as an indictment, but simply as feedback and an invitation to go deeper into what we know about the reality of spirit expressing through us and and the, 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 um, the reality of the laws at work in our life. Now, so with that, so how do we activate that effectively, right? Because there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of asking, and they think they're asking for what they really want. Where's the disconnect? Where's the disconnect between the ask and the result, the 3D manifestation? It's our understanding of the law, that when we deepen our understanding of the law, we can come into harmony with what is it that we truly are asking for and what's showing up. Here's the thing about the law. We can have anything that we're in harmony with. Let me say that again. We can have anything that we're in harmony with. We just have to learn how to come into harmony with it. And Raymond Hollowell and a whole bunch of other people, and Charles Fillmore, and and, uh, Myrtle and Charles Fillmore included, talk incessantly about the power that we have been given. This indescribable, uh, um, um, infinite, just speechless, which is hard for me to be, (laughs) for those of you who know me, power to create. And that power starts with our thinking. Let me read from uh, Halliwell, because he talks about one of the laws being the laws of thinking. And uh, Reverend Jonathan spoke on this um, a couple of weeks ago. But here's what he says. He says, it is an unlimited force, your power to think. Your power to think is inexhaustible. And then he goes on, yet there is not one in a thousand that may fully be aware of the possibilities of his thought power. We are mere babes in handling it. We are mere babes in handling it. Now, what I love about that statement is that when we look at, as a human species, what we've achieved, it's really quite breathtaking where we've come and what we've created. With everything we see, started starting as an idea in the mind of whoever thought it up with that thought being connected to the one mind of God that all ideas come from the mind of God. It's just a matter of how are they filtering through us. So just take a moment and just kind of revel in that principle, in that law that we have the Indescribable, unlimited power to create through our thought. Now we get that conceptually, and we have examples in our life where we've done it. We've had examples in other people's lives where you can actually see thought and action. Yet there's a disconnect, and Jesus tells us where the disconnect is. He says, you know, because we can see where we have a thought. We have a desire, right? Because Halliwell goes on to talk about desire, and we're not seeing it in our world. We're not seeing the desire manifesting in our world. And Jesus tells us this. He says, you have not because you ask not. We're not asking. We think we're asking, but we're really not asking. There's a science to the ask, I love what Rumi says, where he says, you go around begging for bread, not realizing that you have the basket on top of your head. (laughs) Right? The law of supply. The moment you think it up, it's evidence that it's here in the invisible realm. We just have to come into harmony with it. And what happens, I don't know about you, but I, you know, here's the thing about this stuff it's mastery. We have to come into mastery with this. It is not just enough to have the information. We have to be practically using this information when we're going about our daily lives. We have to be mindful about what am I thinking when I'm making a sandwich, when I'm brushing my teeth, when I'm making a phone call, when I'm in traffic, because we're thinking something all the time. We can't turn this off. And that conversation whether we want it to be or not, is our ask. It's what we are transmitting to this invisible field about what is it that we really expect, that we really believe. Halliwell goes deep into the word expectation. He says it is useless to have a desire unless you expect it to be fulfilled. It's a waste of energy. He goes on and tells us, it is a waste of natural energy to have an ask, to have a desire, and not to expect it. So he then, he then goes on, and he gives us, so the law of supply says that with every demand, there is the supply. The question is, are we really giving ourselves permission to ask, or do we kind of do this? Oh, I hope, please. I want this so badly. You know, when I go to turn my faucet on, I don't go to my faucet and say, oh God, please let there be water. I affirm that there's water. Right? I turn the faucet on because there's an assumption that water is going to come out. That whoever did the plumbing in my house understands the law of gravity in order to be able to build the pressure to bring the water from wherever it is and we're holding that the water lasts. Probably not a very good example to be using here in Tucson. <laughs> we should go with electricity. But that they, they understand the laws of gravity to pull it out of the source and bring it into my house. I assume that the people that built my house understood that law. So when I go to turn, and I, I'm trusting that my husband's paying the bill. And so, <laughs> you know, that when I go to turn the water on, the water's coming, That's what it is to ask in that state of expectation. That there is an assumption, there is such an assumption that you literally organize your activity around the assumption that the ask is going to be delivered. Disney built his parks on the assumption that they were going to be successful. So how well, so in, in so in in the law of demand, uh, the law of supply, he's telling us to ask. You know, Jim Carrey has a great video that I showed yesterday, where he talks about he was doing the um, commencement exercise, and I don't remember what school it was. But, you know, maybe it was like the University of Santa Monica. Or it was something along those lines. But he said, as far as I can tell, it's just a matter of asking, that the universe just wants us to ask. And so the question is. Are you truly giving yourself permission to ask? Understanding that the ask is actually the cord that connects us between us and the divine. That is actually, it's the divine's ask through us in order to be able to be that conduit through which more abundance, more joy, more of this uh, divine essence makes itself known. So the question is, are you asking? What's your ask? And are you doing it from a place of pleading and hoping and begging? Are you doing it with the awareness that you have the basket on top of your head? It's an assumption. It's an expectation. Because you know who you are as a divine being. As an expression of all that is. So Hallowell gives us very specific instructions And how to ask, how to activate that desire. So the first thing is that you have to be willing to know what your desire is, and that seems like it should be so simple. You know, the thing I love about Halloween is that it's such a childlike um, um, holiday, right? That we think it's designed for kids. But man, and I don't really do much with Halloween today. We're we're up in the foothills. We're kind of not stuck. I mean, I love where we live, but we're in the desert. And so, you know, we're not going to have people that are going to be uh, coming in, um, trick-or-treating into um, our, our our part of the world. But it's that place of um, of imagining possibilities. And as kids, we didn't have any problem with it. And we could put ourselves in it as if it was real. And as adults, that got trained out of us, that we got trained to put more faith in what's happening in our world than in the power that moves through us. We got trained to have more faith in what we see with our five senses than what we see with this activated divine power called our imagination. And so Hollowell gives us three steps to stay faithful to the law of supply and the law of attraction. These are actually in his chapter in the law of attraction. And the three phases are interest, attention, and expectation. First, you become aware that you have a desire. And you feel, you build the flame of that desire. You let yourself want something. And then you become interested in it. You become interested in understanding the law to be able to activate and and materialize and fulfill that desire. You become interested in how it was fulfilled in the past in your own life. You become interested in how it was fulfilled in other people, which is why I, I love studying people who beat the odds and achieved amazing things. And so you're building your interest. Now, with your interest and your desire, it then attracts your attention, The thing about your attention is that your attention then triggers a domino effect that will then activate what you see in your imagination. What you see in your imagination becomes the organizing pattern for you in your life, and it becomes the transmission to this invisible field. So when you have a desire, you become vigilant in where you're putting your interest. And then what are you paying attention to? And you know you're paying attention to that which is in harmony with your desire when you feel expansive in the presence of what you're paying attention to. You know that you've moved to being seduced by what's happening in our world because you feel contractive with what you're paying attention to. Now, I am not saying to hide your head in the sand. I had a conversation with my person who did my hair last week who's not paying attention to anything that's going on. And I'm like, well, we need to pay attention you know we don't want to put our heads in the sand and we need to take the actions that we're guided to take but to not be sucked into it thinking that this is the truth the truth is what you're seeing in your mind's eye that's reality and the mastery our work our spiritual discipline is to believe more what's happening in the mind as it we are being divinely directed than what we're seeing out here. So let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Southern California, Anaheim. I was there for a training. And I had a full-day event coming up that Tuesday, and I wanted to fly home Saturday night. Finished up, went to John Wayne Airport to fly home. We're all gathering at the gate, and all, you know, about 15 minutes before we're getting ready to board. And all of a sudden, people's phones start going off, and I start seeing the line, you know, lining up at the desk. And I look at my phone, flight's been canceled. I'm rescheduled for Sunday at six o'clock into Phoenix, which means, okay, I'm gonna get home around 10. I'm looking at, okay, well, that's not gonna work. And so I get on the phone with Southwest and said, what can I do so this is the best that we can do? Thinking, thinking, thinking. Okay, do what I can where I am with what I have. I'm six and a half hours from Phoenix, rent a car. So I went down to the desk. I rent a car. I had somebody say, oh my God, the weather's horrible. You're going to be in all these storms. You're not going to make it. I'm like, keep it to yourself. <laughs> 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 I didn't say that in so many words, but I kind of did. You know, it's like, I'll be fine. So I get in, you know, it's not my preference, right? It's like, woo I get to spend six and a half, seven hours, you know, three of those hours just getting out of L.A. Um, <laughs> on the road Saturday night to get home to Phoenix and then be able to drop the rental car off, pick up my car and drive home Sunday morning. So I get into Buckeye, check into a Marriott on, on the way home. And it, I am an extrovert to the extreme. I will get into a conversation. You know, Sandy, you're my soul sister, honey. You know, get into a conversation with anybody. So I'm in a conversation, 12:15 at night with the woman behind the desk. And I'm telling her what happened. And she just looked at me. And she said, oh, my God, what a nightmare. I'm like, wow, how did I communicate a nightmare? Nightmare, inconvenience, yes. Nightmare, No. And it really brought me up short, because I realized in that moment, there was a part of me that was kind of wanting a little bit of sympathy, that I had to be on the road for six and a half hours, never mind the fact that I had the means to do it, I had the ability to think of the idea, and I had the capacity at that time of night with my health to be able to see and be on the road from about seven at night to um, after whatever the time was, that I had the ability and the capability and the resources to be able to do that it's so subtle. It's so sneaky where we're placing our attention, which then determines our experience and what we expect. The reason why this is important is because it will then determine the ideas that you see or you don't see, the actions that you take and the way in which you take those actions, and our ability to receive. Hallowell, Hallowell tells us That with a desire, we must have the expectation. He says, desire will put you in touch with the inner world of the cause and connect you by invisible means with the substance of the thing desired. Continuous expectation is necessary to bring it into your life. And I'm going to take it a step further because it's expectation based in assumption. There's an assumption and there's an action for you to take accordingly to that assumption. It's not just that we come to Sunday morning I love that Jonathan gives us homework and it's so practical that if we're not moving our feet in the direction of our faith with a with our actions indicating what we expect it's kind of like we got we're driving with the brake on. It's like, yeah, God, I believe, I believe, I believe, but let me hedge my bets. Let me have a plan B. Let me see if there's a way to get around the thing that I know that this divine intelligence is asking me to do as evidence that this is is my assumption. So as we, as you imagine the thing that you have, in your mind. What is the step? So let me, one more story. There's a great story in the Jewish text. Many people call it the Old Testament. It's actually the Jewish text because they're still using it. So it's still very much alive and we're still using it. But there's a story where the Israelites were fighting, which, you know, they were kind of fighting all the time. But this time they were fighting the Moabs and they were running out of water. And so they went to the prophet Elijah, which is the forerunner, you know um Elisha and Elijah were the forerunners of Jesus, and they went to Elijah and they said, "We're running out of water, you know we got we need water we've got to have water for our horses. you know what do you think we should do here?" And so Elijah went and had a conversation with God, and God said, told Elijah to go back and tell them, "Dig ditches, be prepared, prepare for water. There was no place for the, the water came." There was no place for the water to go. He said, there will be no cloud or wind in the sky. Dig the ditches. And so Elijah came back, and they trusted Elijah, and they dug the ditches. And the water appeared. It was like it was a miracle. It wasn't a miracle. It's law. It's law. We transmit what we expect according to our actions. And so when you look at your desire, ask, where is my attention? What am I interested in and what's the action step that is the suggestion that this is my assumption? Now, I work with entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur. I gotta tell you, it is spirituality and steroids because (laughs) we're always taking action steps based on an assumption of success. So it's easy for me to see it in that world. It's like when when I take that step, This is an assumption that I'm going to be successful with this. This church was built on that assumption. You cannot build a spiritual community the way that Tucson has shown up and have it materialize out of nowhere. There had to be an assumption that it was going to be a place of spiritual nourishment. When you all brought Jonathan in, you did it with an assumption that Jonathan was going to co-create, bring together partnership and co-create a community of spiritual growth and possibility. We can see it on a grander scale. And on a daily basis, on a daily basis, what's the action that is congruent, that is in harmony with who you're becoming and what you're creating? That's the law of attraction. It's actually an interesting law because the law of attraction, attraction is simply, it's the effect of the vibration that we're in. It's the effect of what we've been assuming. It should actually be the law of assuming, the law of harmony. What are we in harmony with? And as we come into harmony and understanding who we are as divine beings, and not just in a warm and fuzzy conceptual place on a Sunday morning, but when we're actually asking a bold ask, a off the chart, this is crazy, I'm building the happiest place in the world in a swamp in Anaheim, California, in Orlando, Florida, right? That's us. What's our ask? Okay, I'm bypassing all of this. And what's your castle? What's your castle? As we wrap up, put your castle front and center. Be interested in your castle. Put your attention on the evidence of your castle. Expect, assume that law is working with, through, and for you to build your castle, knowing that as you do this, of course you transform. You bless everybody around you. You build your own happiest place on earth. And truly, this is how we bring our greatest contribution to the body of humanity. God bless.